Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. And welcome to uh, an early... Impromptu episode 251 of the Michigan Sports Truth Postgame Edition on Talk Shoe. I'm Taylor Phillips along with Buck Gino. Lewis has the rest of the night off since he, since he was already on the in-game chat episode 36 earlier tonight. Buck Gino, how are we doing tonight? Very good, sir. Good. Follow Buck Gino on Twitter at BuckGino with the third, triple I. Follow me on Twitter at DT2Phillips. Like the Michigan Sports Truth Facebook page and join its Facebook group. Tigers blow a 3 nothing lead, give up all six Twins runs in the sixth inning and lose 6-3. to three. Justin Verlander was pitching lights, uh, not, not, not quite pitching lights out. He, he, he actually threw five walks and four strikeouts, five innings and change pitch. He, he couldn't even get an out in the sixth inning. He was, he was already near 100 pitches going into the bottom of the sixth inning. And the base, then all of a sudden the bases were loaded and nobody out. And Brad Osmus decided to stick with Justin Verlander, as we covered up on the in-game chat. And Verlander gave up a two-run single to Eddie, Eddie Rosario before he even summoned a, a, a single relief pitcher, Kyle Ryan. actually got a ground out, but that was it. And then he put in Joe Jimenez, who gave up the other four runs. Two of them charged to Justin Verlander. And then the three-run home run, followed by that three-run home run by uh, not Eddie. Eddie Rosario hit the three-run home run. He didn't hit the two-run single, but um, But uh, another another um, poor another uh, poor management period by Brad Osmus that cost the Tigers the game and they fall to eight and eight. Now one game out of the out of first place, the Cleveland Indians. Assumingly, I, I believe the Cleveland Indians beat the Chicago White Sox. Last I heard, they were up three nothing in the in the middle of the game. Yeah, they did end up putting that game three nothing. So. Tigers fall out of first place by, I believe it would be a half a game. And the Tigers are Tigers and Twins are now tied at eight and eight, probably in the middle of the pack in the AL Central. While the Indians dropped to like seven and seven, seven and eight. So the Indians, yeah. uh, I mean the White Sox, dropped to seven and eight. My bad. I assume the Royals were playing too, but affecting entire AL standings. But just a cost, just another costly game 
thrown away by the manager and the bullpen. Yeah, and it was interesting to see how they managed that sixth inning and the moves that went on beyond it, simply because Verlander was nearing the end of his night, hadn't been pitching effectively, gave up six walks and a start for the first time, and I, I want to say four years is what they showed the graphic as on television. And yeah, that yeah, was six. I miscounted. Well, I well and, and he wasn't on tonight, and he didn't have his best stuff. Yet he had made it through five innings with no runs scored against. So he had worked through those struggles to keep the Twins at bay. And then he goes out for the sixth, and the wheels completely fall off. He loads the bases and then gives up a two-run single. And I, you talk about the management. I mean, you know he's on fumes going out there. I don't disagree with the fact that they put him out there to start the sixth inning simply because he hadn't give up any, given up any runs. Right. And you're, thinking, and you're thinking that maybe he can make it through one more inning or at least get you into a position where you can bring somebody in and in a high-leverage situation. And instead, he loads the bases with nobody else, gives up a two-run single. Then they take him out. They bring in Kyle Ryan, who does the job that he's supposed to do, which is get the left-handed batter out, gets Jason Castro to ground out, and then Joe Jimenez comes in and gives up the three-run home run to Rosario, opposite field, and that was your ball game. And, you know, sometimes it does fall to one inning, but the moves afterwards were more curious. Cabrera leaves the game after that inning as well, with a what they're calling a strained right groin. Although, yep. to me, it looks it looks more like his back again. And maybe, you know, when you, when you have one problem, you start to overcompensate, and maybe he's created another problem with that right groin. But it, it, you just look at the substitution pattern. You, you bring Alex Avila in to replace Cabrera at first base, which... It makes sense if you let him hit. And I understand that you don't want him facing left-handed batters, left-handed pitchers. And I understand that you don't really try to, to use him too much. But why did they even bring him in for defensive purposes if they, were, if they knew they were going to have to burn him? I mean, he, he, came into a, he came into a spot where he was leading off the next inning. And then Osmus pinch hits Machado, who is retired, and then he has to flip around. He could have he could have uh, hit Avila like Miguel Cabrera. Avila can play first base too, you know. Well, he did. He played an inning of defense, but then they just burnt. I mean, it doesn't make any sense for him to play an inning of defense just to come out of the game for a pinch hitter. If you're going to put Machado in, because you know Cabrera is coming up next, you just leave him in there. And I understand there's righty-lefty matchups that he's trying to maneuver by, and they're playing a little bit shorthanded simply because they don't have everybody back in yet with J.D. Martinez. But if it's me, I'm going to put Romine at first and just bring Machado in to play short, and then you can leave Alex Avila on the bench for if you need him 
later on in the game. But now Avila, who is one of the better Tiger hitters at this point, doesn't even get to swing the bat. And you're left with at the pinch for to pinch hit in the ninth inning for Jacoby Jones. You're left with Tyler Collins. You could have pinch hit Avila there in the ninth instead, and then make your defensive move at that point. But you're you're burning what amounts to two bench players in the seventh inning because you you either weren't prepared for Cabrera to come out or you just didn't think that far ahead. And that's the kind of stuff that Osmus does. He doesn't think ahead to what's going to happen down the later innings. He does what is in front of him. I wouldn't have had any problem with Machado. And Machado has also played a little bit of first base. But you could have mixed and matched by putting Machado in the lineup to start with and leaving Avila on the bench. Because if Avila pinch hits in the ninth and you somehow are able to tie the game, that's when you go into emergency mode, and that's when you put him at first. You put Romine in center, and you put Machado at short. I mean, you can move these guys around. And he didn't manage the sixth inning very well, but again, Joe Jimenez giving up the home run didn't help any, but it's just it's just the sub it's just the the stuff afterwards. It's like he didn't know what to do. It helped the twins from that point on, and then yeah, I mean it certainly helped the twins because they knew they didn't have to have they weren't going to face a four hundred hitter coming off the bench, and they could make bullpen moves a little bit easier because they knew that they were going to get either Tyler Collins or nobody in that ninth inning. And it's just one of those, again, you're not going to win every game, you're not going to lose every game, but it just goes back to the competency of Brad Osmus. The substitutions that he made in in the lineup just didn't make any sense to me. And he could have ran those a little bit more efficiently and then maybe given his chance a better team to win. Or a better chance, team a better chance to win. And that's the point that is consistently brought up with Brad Austin. It's not that he makes moves or doesn't make moves. It's that when he when he does those things or doesn't do them things, he doesn't give his team a better chance to win. And putting Alex Avila to play defense at first base for one inning, and not even and not even and, uh, getting a chance to bat at all, not giving him a chance to bat. You know his spot is coming up because Castellano struck out to end the sixth, or the excuse me, the seventh. You know he's coming up. It's it's already right there. Why bring Avila in if you're not going to be able to get him a chance to to bat? Because the Twins know who they're going to want to put out there from the bullpen to counteract whatever Osmus does. So Osmus is not working from a position of strength. But if you put Machado in that spot and burn him for an inning, you still have the flexibility with Andrew Romine in the lineup that if you pinch hit Avila in that situation, if you reverse those roles, Avila now can play first base and Romine can stay at short or 
if they decide to let Machado hit and they and they don't and the Twins don't respect that matchup, you have him for later on down the line, like the ninth inning, when they had to bring in Tyler Collins. You make your best moves later in the game. You don't make you don't try to to win the game in the seventh inning when you're down three because now Avila is not available to, to pinch hit. And again, I mean, we could rehash all of those moves, but it just boils down to, to Brad Ausmus not thinking ahead or making decisions off the, the shooting from the hip, so to speak, and hamstringing his team down the line. I mean, we've seen it plenty of times where he'll pinch run for somebody and all of a sudden they get to extra innings and now you've got Andrew Romine batting in the fourth spot or Tyler Collins batting in the DH spot because he pinch ran for Victor or, or whatever it is. And it happens way too often with Brad Ausmus that they're caught shorthanded or they're caught in a bad situation because he doesn't utilize his substitution or his bench players in a substitution pattern that allows him to be more flexible. He basically was down to one one bench player in that ninth inning, and that was Tyler Collins. What happens is they somehow tie the game. Now you don't have anybody to pinch hit, and if James McCann goes down after you've burned Avila in the seventh inning, something happens to James McCann, now you don't have a catcher. Whereas if you wait to put in Avila and somehow they tie the game, you can move guys around in the lineup. They have enough guys that can play different positions that Avila has to go catch. And it, it just it, it, it just doesn't make any sense to do, do it the way he did tonight. And it's just a microcosm of, of this team where he just doesn't make decisions that are based on future returns. He only pays attention to what's in front of him. And you cannot manage a baseball game like that simply because you have to give yourself as much chance to win as possible. Alex Avila playing defense in the seventh inning instead of Andrew Romine or somebody else isn't giving you a better chance to win. It's just not. And say what you will about what chances they had to win tonight, the sixth inning again spelled it all for them. But at the same time, they've got to do better than that. And we we can criticize all we want, but um, number one, you got to get some better pitching out of your starters. Justin Verlander only going five innings against the Twins, who he usually is is very dominant over, uh, didn't help matters. And Joe Jimenez giving up a home run cemented the loss for them. But again, you're putting relievers in bad spots. I mean, Joe Jimenez is coming into a situation now with one out and two runners in the scoring position. And for a guy that's just recently been called up again, not an optimal situation for him. You know, maybe in that spot you're not using him there. Maybe you're using Shane Green or or somebody else. But it, it, it again, just goes down to he, he doesn't think one inning, two innings ahead. And when you talk about good managers in today's game, those that's what those are the kind of moves that they're making is 
with other situations in mind, and Brad Ausmus isn't able or refuses to do that. One way or the other, he, he just doesn't put them in the best position to win when he when he has the opportunity. Right. To sum it all up in just three words, typical Dartmouth dipshit. Brad Osmus uh, just has no continuity, no planning ahead type of mindset. Just doesn't have much. Doesn't have much experience. Doesn't have much of anything. And yet, yet again, Chris Illich and Al Avila both praise him for for all that he's done. And well, I mean, they have yeah. I mean, they have a chance to to get the next two. Uh, Matthew Boyd goes tomorrow, and he was very sharp in his matchup the first time against these twins at Comerica Park when he threw six innings of one-hit ball. And he was throwing his changeup a lot more, which they've been trying to get him to do. And he was very successful with that. He'll go against Alberto Mejia, who is in his third career start. And he'll be coming off of extra rest. So we'll see how that goes tomorrow. And then on Sunday, the finality of that series, Michael Fulmer going against Kyle Gibson. And Gibson has struggled early on in the season. Hasn't gone over five innings in any of his starts. And those are the type of guys that you need to jump on. Those are the type of guys that you need to to get out of the game early and work that bullpen. We'll see how they do that tomorrow. Tomorrow they they start at 2 o'clock and and Sunday as well. And then they get to to have a day off before they come home to host the Mariners and Felix Hernandez. Oh, yeah. King Felix. And it always depends on the pitch count, too. You've got to know how your starters fare in each start and how long they're supposed to durate depending on the pitch count. And and, and, it, and if you're the better manager than Brad Osmus, you you should yeah, you should know all this and uh try to make the right moves. Not only with the bullpen but with the lineup as well. And Brad Osmus has done none of it again tonight. Yeah, I mean they they let Hector Santiago go six and a third against them. And Hector Santiago is a fair pitcher, but right. against Detroit, but against Detroit, he has had his struggles. And when you look at the guys he was facing tonight, and you do the pitcher versus batter stuff, I mean, he he was, you know, he's got some guys in that lineup. I mean, Miguel Cabrera before he went out of the injury was three for three, and they just didn't they just didn't make enough offensive opportunities count. They had a couple of runners in scoring position early in that ball game, and that's you got to get those early. I mean, if they're going to give them to you, you got to take them. Uh, and then after the, the first couple of innings, they really didn't have much in the way of offense. So I think for the Tigers to get back on track, they have to get back to, to working the count, 
getting the pitchers, the starting pitchers out early and getting into the bullpen. That's how you win baseball games in today's Major League Baseball strategy is you get the starting pitcher tired, you get him out of there, and you get into the bullpen. And hopefully you can get into that bullpen with a lead or at least a shot to win. And right now the way this tired lineup is hitting, I mean, there's only one guy hitting above 300 that that played tonight, and that was Alex Avila, and he's the only guy that didn't get to bat. So it's a struggle offensively for them right now, and they're starting pitchers. they got to lean on them a little bit to have good starts. But when they do have good starts, you also have to be able to reward them with some support. Brad Osmus, once again, the uh, goat of the game as usual. Tigers drop tonight's contest, three-game series opener, 6-3 to to the Minnesota Twins at Target Field, Saturday and Sunday at 2-10. Matt Boyd and Michael Fulmer both start in the correct order. Um, I found a I found an article on Boban Marjanovic's season review and grade. He was graded a mid-range B, which I think is understandably fair. Um, it says here, Boban Marjanovic remains among the biggest curiosities of all the NBA. He's 7'3", and somehow he seems even bigger. He dominates opposing big men when he's on the floor for the Pistons, but he only played just but he played just 293 minutes this season. While his per 36 minutes are spectacular, 23.5 points and 16 rebounds, he played just 39 more minutes than Darko Milicic in the 0-4-0-5 campaign, which was the peak victory cigar Darko era. Boban might be the most puzzling victory cigar in, in all the NBA this season. He's an unstoppable force on the offensive end, but he struggles on defense and uh, he struggles on defense when he's forced to move his feet. Where does the offense benefit get negated by defensive deficiencies? Unfortunately, written by Duncan Smith of Piston Powered, they never got they never really got a chance to find out because Stan Van Gunny wasn't even using Boban much or at all in most games, I may add in spite of the fact that he was dynamic and effective whenever he was on the floor for extended minutes, continuing on here, Marjanovic didn't really get any sustained run until the last four, four games of the season when Stan Van Gundy expanded, expanded the rotation as the, comp, as the competitive portion of the Pistons season came to an end. It was a, and, uh, and let me stop there and, and say, Boban playing the last four games after not playing after not playing very many minutes throughout the entire season, I think I think uh, Boban might have been rusty on the on the defensive end, especially on, on his running speed and his footing on on defense. I I think he might have been I think he might have been rusty. Well, since he was wasn't given many minutes, many playing minutes by Stan Van Gundy, and I blame Stan Van Gundy on that. But um, of course, Bob on Marjanovic has got to, do, got to do a better job, be held accountable. But he, I don't think he's. But how can you point the finger at Bob on Marjanovic and, and uh, give the fault to him when Stan Van Gundy 
doesn't even play Boban more minutes, except that instead he plays Drummond and Baines throughout most of the season and keeping Boban rusty. Well, I mean, there's there's definitely some accountability for Boban to get better on defense, and that's what they're trying to get out of him. But you can't get better unless you're playing against guys in a game situation. And I think that there were plenty of times where Marjanovic could have been inserted into the lineup at points during the season. I'm not saying that they needed to start him every game, but there are certainly games that he had the chance to be put into and allow him to grow and develop. And I think that's where Stan Van Gundy failed is that they want him to develop defensively. And that's understandable because you you can't just go out there and, and trade baskets with teams, especially some of the elite teams. But at the same time, he's not going to learn how to get better if he's not playing in the game. And the best way to get better at a game is to play it. And I think for him, for, for Stan Van Gundy, to, to not put Boban Marjanovic in a lot of game situations is definitely an effect on why Boban was unable to develop. And they really need to develop him, especially if they've made that investment in him. Simply by playing to, him more. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're playing Aaron Baines, who's a career backup center at best, and and he's and and, and the other one says that Aaron Baines is expected to opt out of his contract, thankfully. Well, I mean, yeah, well, and Duncan Smith talks about, you know, what what's the difference? What's what's the what's the benefit of having Bowman in if he's not going to play defense? Well, we, we wouldn't know that because he never touches the floor. And playing Aaron Baines severely handicapped the Detroit Pistons on offense because Aaron Baines is not a very good offensive player. And no. you need to find out what you've got in He can't Bowman. do that either. No, he, well, yeah, he, he can't do a lot of things. But it's just it, it was mind it was mind boggling how many times that Boban could have been inserted into the lineup to find out what he was able to do and they just didn't do it. And I understand there's got to be a trust factor from the coach to be able to put him into situations where you have a chance to win games because that's what you're paid to do is you're paid to win games. But at the same time, this is this is not an established team. It'd be different if they were the first seed. And you're like, well, we don't have the luxury of developing guys because we're in this to, to win a championship. Pistons weren't a championship team this year. And so if you're going to do anything, you've got to find out what you have on your bench or at your disposal so that you can continue to develop and continue to grow as a team. And Stan Van Gundy coached this team this year like his job depended on how many wins he got and if they were going to qualify for the playoffs, he, he he really managed the rotation like he was trying to shorten his rotation rather than expand it. And I, I just didn't understand why they didn't put Marjanovic in more situations to get him experience and to see what they were able to have with him. And his his numbers, Boban Marjanovic's numbers, were pretty good offensively. Yeah. When he was in the game, he had a pretty good 
per game average, or they actually me me measure it in per 36 minutes, which is a basically a, a milestone for starters. Most starters are going to play 36 minutes or more, so they try to pare it down to that. So it, you just don't know what you have with them if you don't use them. And that was the, the common refrain from us here during most of the season is, why don't you play him? He's not going to be any worse than what you are already doing. And Aaron Baines isn't part of the long-term picture, but maybe Beaumont Marjanovic is. And it was just puzzling to see Stan Van Gundy's lack of usage of Boban Marjanovic, and hopefully this next season, if Aaron Baines does opt out of his contract, Boban will get a ton more run and be able to show at least some improvement and really be able to grow and develop as a player. See, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to chime in and say that Stan Van Gundy and the coaching staff were way too skeptical to see what Boban Marjanovic is really made of offensively and defensively, especially. And and Stan Van Gundy just just had still had Drummond and Baines in the uh, routine line lineup with Boban as a reserve, while Boban Marjanovic was again signed to a three-year, twenty-one million dollar contract, and and that that was. That was a lot of money, $7 million wasted by Stan Van Gundy and not Boban Marjanovic. That's going to make Jeff Bauer really unhappy, general manager. Well, and, that, and you're right because, I mean, they didn't give him that money to sit on the end of the bench. And he is a developmental player. Yeah. He is not a bona fide starter by any stretch of the imagination. Not, but not yet. This, but this team is not in that position where they can make that decision and and run with the horses that they have because they are still a developing squad. They are not competing for a championship. And for anybody to think otherwise is delusional. And when you're not going to be able to compete for a championship, like I've said many times before, you measure success in your ability to get closer to a championship. Playing Aaron Baines big minutes as your backup doesn't get you closer to a championship. And well, num well, number one, the Pistons are hardly developing as long as Stan Van Gunny is the head coach and the president of basketball operations because he's not, he's not a developer and he's, and he's not, and he's not an in, uh, he's not a good in-game decision maker either. No, and number two, and number two, there are a lot of fans that believe that the Pistons are not, are not even nearly an NBA championship caliber team, or, or even or even a playoff team. There, well, they, there have been a lot of Pistons fans <laughs> in today's world that have been so negative on the Pistons, so negative on their players. Instead of Stan Van Gunny, they 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 keep smooching Stan Van Gunny's old fat ass. Well, Stan Van Gundy is not a point, he's not a talent developer. No. He's a very good roster construction guy. I mean, he made some trades that have obviously upgraded the Pistons roster from what it was before he got here. And I'll always give him credit for being one of those. I mean, he does know how to construct a roster. 
but it's the usage of it. It doesn't do you any good to have a great roster and then not use it. And the Pistons roster still has some holes in it and still has some places where they could definitely improve, but at the same time, to your point, you're not going to find out what you need to improve upon if you keep using the guys that you're comfortable with or you keep using the guys that are just there by default. And you talk about Brad Osmus, just to jump in with him, you know, those set roles in the bullpen. This guy pitches this inning, and this guy comes in at this time, and this guy. Sam Van Gundy kind of does the same paint-by-numbers management where he just kind of puts guys in roles, and then when those situations come up, he uses them. But if something deviates from that course, he's kind of hamstrung. And, again, you talked about his in-game strategies. I feel like a lot of times, more often than not, his in-game strategies have been lacking. There's not been a lot of times where I've been complimentary. There are some days where I've been, but most of the time it's not because he's not making those in-game decisions that are going to help them get to a championship. I mean, playing playing Ish Smith as your starting point guard isn't going to get you closer to a championship, but at the same time, Reggie Jackson's not doing it for you. And there's plenty of times where in the backcourt, he actually did put some, some decent laps together. But then you look at the front court, and he he's not maximizing what he's able to get out of his roster. So I think that for Stan Van Gundy, you know, this next season is probably going to be the, the real big one because this will be his fourth season on the bench and also as team president. Or uh, And he's really going to have to – he's going to have to show that this team is better from when he got it. And if you're missing the playoffs – you're, you're not any better. It doesn't matter if you missed the playoffs by one game or 50. You're not any better than when he got here if you're not making the playoffs and developing your young players and, and setting the core for a long-term solution. Year four of Stan Van Gundy's five-year contract. And yeah, this has to be a make-or-break season already for Stan Van Gundy. He, he, he better change things up. He better show some show a lot more continuity. You better show a lot more productivity with uh, development and in-game decision-making. I, I do agree with you. He, he, he is good at – he's kind of good at not, – not great, but kind of good in, uh, at roster construction, whether it's in the off-season or at the trade deadline. Piston – Pistons uh, didn't. Pistons, I believe, stood pat unless they made a trade, which I may not recall. Well, they tried to make, they tried to make a trade late in the season that would have been inconsequential. But at the trade deadline, they did. I mean, it was well documented that Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond had been the focus of trade talks. They just couldn't find a willing buyer to go for the price that they were trying to extricate those guys from the roster. I mean, it was. Said like like they, had, they, they said that they had a deal in principle with Sacramento uh, to trade him for DeMarcus Cousins, which I don't know if that's really the move you want to make simply because of the, the, the attitude and the overall personality of those two guys. I mean, Andre Drummond is, is not exactly a franchise player, but DeMarcus Cousins, for all his talent, is a real locker room cancer. 
And I don't think that making that move gets you any closer to a championship on the off-the-court stuff. And I think that for them to get closer, they're going to need to really think hard and try to find some unconventional ways to make this roster better. Because Stanley Johnson, who was their first-round pick, didn't really develop how they thought he would this year. And Henry Ellenson, who was their first-round pick in the last draft, didn't get to play at all until the last couple of games when they were out of the playoffs. So they need to find out what they have with those guys next year. And the last four games, Henry Ellenson, too. Yeah, you just need to find out what you can get out of those guys. Darren Hilliard was a dumpster fire. Yeah, I know. This season, and it doesn't look like he's part of the big picture. But you can't be you can't be having first round picks as high as the Pistons have been able to pick, and decide and and whiff on those picks. They're not in that position. You've got to get guys that can be on your roster and be contributors. And Stanley Johnson certainly has not been that in his second year. And Henry Ellenson didn't get much run simply because he was bottled up behind a couple of guys on the depth chart. And he really didn't have a lot of experience. Plus, he's only technically a sophomore in college, age-wise. So you're not going to throw him out there. And he was a developmental pick. And that makes sense for them at that time. But you've got to be able to use those guys next year, coming up in the fall for the 17-18 season. You've got to get them in the rotation somehow and find out what you have. Because it just feels like you're, they're spinning their wheels right now. Uh, obviously the off season is going to be important for them as well because they have a couple of decisions to make with Contavious Caldwell-Pope and a couple of other guys. Um, so what they do in the off season and in the draft are, is really going to determine for them what they're looking at going into the season. But they again, it's going going back to getting closer to a championship. And I think for this year's draft, they're really going to have to look at finding somebody who's a ready-to-play player. It may not be the best athlete. It may not be the best fit for them in terms of talent. But you've got to get the guy who is ready to play and start in a rotation, maybe not start the game, but be in the rotation and have a contribution to help this team to the playoffs because – Picking another guy that you're hoping is going to develop two or three years down the road just isn't going to cut it for them this year. So it'll be interesting to see who they go with in the draft, who's available, and also what they're going to need. But I feel like they're going to have to go with probably their most NBA-ready guy over somebody that may pan out to be a better player over the balance of their career. Because right now this team doesn't have enough players in their standard rotation that are would be considered good NBA players. No, they don't. You mentioned Contavious Caldwell Pope. We had, we had an up, we recently had an update that the Pistons are are going are willing to match any offer sheets for KCP, and uh, I, I, I uh, at least I don't recall. You and I talking about this. It's um, it, they're talking. The Pistons are talking about a, a maximum 
deal for KCP, which which shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. It should not have happened for Andre Drummond either. But but they sign him anyway. Pistons Pistons are uh, well. Pistons were spending too much money on Andre Drummond. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit, but again, it goes to the point where they're probably going to be forced to do that because the alternatives aren't going to be as attractive and probably not as effective, or at least at best a wash. I mean, really at this point, anybody on this team outside of KCP should be available to move for better players or, or, or a more established player because these, the prospects they have are not, highly rated. They don't have enough depth to compete at a high level. And I think that for Detroit, when you're talking about blowing it up, I don't think they really need to blow up the roster. I don't think they need to get rid of everybody. But you also have to be able to to make those moves and say, look, hey, if we get the right offer, we're going to move this guy. I mean, Andre Drummond has proven that he is not the franchise player that they thought they got. Reggie Jackson was signed to a max contract because they didn't have a point guard, and they needed one when he was traded to them in in his free agent season. So they signed him to that contract. And the same thing is going to happen with KCP, where he's not a max player. At least he doesn't deserve to be. But the problem is if you lose him, you don't have another guy to plug in there that's going to match his production. And to get somebody else to do that, there's not going to be that availability. So I think that for the Pistons, what they really have to do is they have to craft their off-season strategy based on the assumption that they may have to move some guys and they probably won't get immediately better, but it'll at least give them a better core group moving forward so they can build around that. Because right now they don't have a lot to build around. I mean, you can't build a team around Andre Drummond. You can't build a team around Reggie Jackson. And you need to be able to have somebody that they can do that with. And they just don't have that player right now in the system at all. And they need to find somebody that they can do that with. And even if it's a big trade where maybe they give up more than what they're willing to, you've got to maybe find that 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 deal that's out there or that move that's out there and and find out exactly what you have and how far you have to go. Because right now they are not closer to a championship than they were last year. And they, they really took a step back this season with their performance. And so it didn't work. It's really time to kind of start over and find out who you're going to move forward with. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to agree with you. It, it's uh, really time time to change things up. Can't you can't you can't just uh, go on with the same roster starting next season. There's got to be changes. There's got to be some sense of urgency from from Stan Van Gundy. There's got to be some sense of urgency from Andre Drummond. There's got to be some sense of urgency from everybody involved in the Pistons organization. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of make or break time for this current regime, and they're going to have to sh demonstrate that they're moving in the right direction and making the correct decisions rather than spinning their wheels and getting into that vortex that we've seen the Red Wings get into many times, whereas being competitive isn't going to be enough. You either are competitive and are ready to compete for a championship, or it's time to restructure and it's 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 time to retool that roster or rebuild that roster and make some major moves. Which Holland is never is, which Holland is never willing to do because he's a chicken head. No, but you have to be you have to be able to do that. And I think that one thing for Stan Van Gundy that he has working in his favor is that Tom Gord does believe in him as far as in a roster construction role. He does believe him, believe in him. Tom Gores does believe that they're moving in the right direction. But when you're missing the playoffs and you're going into a new building, you know, the same thing the Red Wings are doing, you're, you're looking at it and saying, you know, we're not going to be able to sell these seats if, if, we, if we can't win ball games. And if, if you're going to keep Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson around and just kind of try to build around them, it, I don't think it's going to work because it's already been proven for the first three years that they haven't been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I talked and I mentioned sense of urgency from everybody. And that includes Tom Gores. He's got to, he's got to, you know, come up, come up with something here. Tom Gores can't, can't just be, can't, can't just be uh, continuing to believe in Stan Van Gundy if it's if it's still not helping Pistons organization. And uh, it, it, and if he continues to do that, it's just going to make Pistons fans seasick. It's going to make us seasick, and, and it's and it's just never going to change. Yeah, I mean they just. For the way that Stan Van Gundy likes to play, which is if you when when he was a coach of the Magic, he had the perfect storm. He had Dwight Howard, who was a dominant player in the post, and he had terrific outside shooters, and was able to, to use that offensive strategy to get to the finals one year and really build a solid team. I mean, until Dwight Howard left. I mean, it, it that's a that's the way he likes to build teams. He likes to build the, the team around a centerpiece post player. Andre Drummond on offense is an unmitigated disaster, and you can't run and you can't run it. You can't run that system. You can't run that system when everybody knows that he can't make shots from outside ten feet, and he can't post guys up. He floats out to the he floats out to the elbow, which mitigates his height advantage and his rebounding skill because he's not going to get the rebound if he's shooting from 15 feet out. And at the same time, when he dishes it outside, the guys weren't shooting at a high enough clip for them to be respected. So the defense was able to focus on them and take those options away as well. So offensively, it was just a real quagmire for the Pistons this year. And I think, you know, going back to your point about Boban Marjanovic, when he was in the lineup, he forced defenses to pay attention to him because he has 
a pretty good offensive game. It still has some room to develop, but he certainly is more effective in the post than Andre Drummond. He's certainly more effective at the five spot offensively for Stan Van Gundy's system than Andre Drummond was. And that's kind of the head-scratcher of the whole thing is when you have a guy that's able to get lanes for your shooters or free them up for uncontested shots, that's why you use him. That's why they have him. Defensively, I understand their hesitation, but at the same time, if you can't score, it doesn't matter how good you are on defense because if you're not putting points up on your end, at some point, that team is the other team is going to score more than you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Drummond's really regressed over the last six to ten games. Really regressed over the last six to ten games. And and uh, right in the middle of it, Stan Van Gunny finally decided to play Boban Marjanovic, and Boban Marjanovic provided a lot of offense, especially in Houston. Twenty-seven points, a career high with the organization, and twelve rebounds. Boban. Earlier in the season, midway, like back in January or something like that, picked up 15 points, but 19 rebounds. Boban just continued to shine, although his numbers started to de- to decrease as the season shrunk down and vanished to thin air with just a couple precious games left. But Boban Marjanovic kept doing his thing. In Orlando, he drew, he drew two critical and ones in the clutch. And he hit both free throws. Unlike Andre Drummond, Boban Marjanovic rebounded the ball well, unlike Aaron Baines. Boban has got the offensive combo, the rebounding, the scoring in the paint, and the free throw shooting. It's all there. The only thing that Stan Van Gunny needs to develop left is the defense and the footing, the, the running speed, whichever you may, however you may slice it. Then Boban Marjanovic may, con, may continue to develop, and who knows? Boban Marjanovic may re, reach an even higher peak than we expect. We expect him to. Just got to keep our eyes open. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just telling that San Antonio, who is uh, one of the premier teams in, in the league, yeah. played, played him 54 games and were unwilling to give him the money that the Pistons were simply because of the way that their roster is constructed. It's not like Greg Popovich wanted him to leave, but at the same time, the, the business reality forced them to, to make other roster moves and not be able to re-sign him. And the Pistons get him, and they only play him in 35 games. I mean, San Antonio is a pretty good defensive team, and they are very well coached, obviously. Yet, he goes to Detroit and plays less and has less success, even though they were willing to make the investment. And that's the biggest head-scratcher for me is you got him from San Antonio, who was willingly playing him off the bench in a consistent manner, and you bring him on, and you only play him in two-thirds of the games that San Antonio utilized him in. I mean, if you're going to pick a guy from a winning team, you'd think you'd give him some run. 
Yep. And, and, and it's strange, really. Once the Spurs give him not 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 as much money as the Pistons play, pay him, and the Spurs play more, on more than the Pistons have throughout throughout an entire season. If you compare how much the Spurs pay, how much the Spurs pay and play him, and how the Pistons pay and play him individually, separately. It, it it's like a strange crossfade. A biz, it, it's a, this is like a Monty Python flying circus type crossfade. <laughs> it just it, it's just uh, how bizarre Bobon is is being treated by each team differently. The Spurs pay him less and play him more. The Pistons pay him more and play him less the year thereafter. And it's all just fucking wrong, man. Well, I mean, if a team like San That's Antonio... Not the Pistons, though. Not the yeah, Spurs. I mean, if, no, I mean, if a team like the Spurs sees value, yet they can't bring him back for financial reasons, and you're able to pick him up, why aren't you using him? Right. I mean... San Antonio Spurs are a pretty good team in the league. They're not what they once were, but they're still a very well-coached team and always a threat in that Western Conference, even though there's some pretty damn good teams in the Western Conference. They're going to be there. They're going to be in the mix. And if they can't use a guy because they can't afford him and you're able to get him, the logic would be that you would be able to put him in your rotation and use him to your advantage. That's the cap on the. That's the that's the ice cap on it on this one. Case closed up on it. It's, this is this is why you have to play him more because you pay him because you pay him more than the other team does. There's your answer. Yeah, and, yeah, and I'm not and I'm not an advocate of playing somebody because of their salary. Don't get me wrong. But there's a reason that you brought him on. And the Spurs, a better team than you, was able to utilize him more effectively than you were. That that's that's a pretty damning analysis. There you go. That that completes it. So, one little note, the Lions have announced their season, their 2017 NFL season. They will play the Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings at Ford Field on Thanksgiving Day for the second consecutive year. How about that? But this time it's going to be on Fox. Well, they, they have some pretty early tests. Uh, they have a Monday night game against New York at Met, or MetLife Stadium in the second week, and then right after that, they come home to host the which reigning... One, which NFC. one is it, the Giants or the Jets? The Giants. Yeah, Giants, yeah. And then they come home to host the reigning NFC champions, the Atlanta Falcons, and then they have an away game at Minnesota. So the first four games for the 
the Lions are, are going to be critical. And not that it's not critical for any other team, but I mean they're going to have some some tests early, and their schedule overall doesn't look too daunting. I think if you're the Lions, you probably are happy that you get to open at home. Um, but they have some matchups that have given them tr- trouble in the past, namely the Giants, the Saints, and the Ravens, teams that they normally don't play every year, but in the last couple of years have played and they have not had success against. So it, it looks like for the Lions it's really going to boil down to are they improved enough from all their free agency moves that they've done in the offseason and the upcoming draft, who they're able to plug in to fill some of the holes that they weren't able to plug in during free agency. But, again, it's way too early to determine what those those rosters are going to look like. Guys get cut, guys get hurt, just like in any other professional sport. So it, it's relatively irresponsible to try to determine what their record will be. But, I mean, looking at it early, I mean, it, the schedule hasn't done them any favors in the first six weeks as they have to travel to some of the, the places where they've had the least success, that being New York, Minnesota, and New Orleans. Yeah. Um, and there's still the NFL draft coming up, but you mentioned the uh, the health of the health of the Lions, including, and I want to pinch in Amir Abdullah. He has to stay healthy. He was out for the rest of the season last year. And and uh, that that uh, kind of hurt the Lions' chances of winning the NFC North, and they did, which they failed to do so, which they failed to do, collapsing at, at the very end. Well, I mean, they just had no running game. <laughs> I mean, right. when you don't have a, well, I mean, I mean, it's a passing league, but if you don't have a running game, and I don't care who you are, you've got to be able to run the football. And, and give the defense a reason to play it. And the, the Lions over the last four games that they lost, including the, the first-round matchup with the Seahawks, just couldn't run the ball. And when you can't do that, it's real easy to pick apart an offense with knowing that they're going to pass the ball 85% of the time. And you don't have to worry about the other 15% because they don't have anybody that can carry the load. So it's going to be of high importance that they keep those guys healthy in the backfield. Because you don't need to have a an outstanding running back to win. I mean, it's been proven over and over again by the New England Patriots, by the Green Bay Packers, by teams of that ilk. They're not they don't have guys that are running for two thousand yards. But they do have guys that can make plays and you have to respect them. And I think the Lions are going to do anything this season. They can make all the free agent moves they want. But if they can't keep the running backs healthy, it's going to be a real tough job for Matthew Stafford to, to do the same things he did last year. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so they also play the Arizona Cardinals, Falcons, the Giants. And of course, all the NFC North teams, the Packers, the Vikings, and the Bears. 
Lay. Yes, sorry about that. I was so far away. Um, had to get something here. Yeah, of course, of course, the, the Lions. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, they got. They also got the Panthers, Saints, Steelers, the Browns, and of course the NFC North teams. You got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. You got you got a, you got a game on NBC, ESPN, NFL Network, two games on ESPN. Hope as of right now, you have to hope to God that your offensive line protects Matthew Stafford and the running backs. And like you pointed out, you gotta get you gotta have a running game, and and uh, that that's gonna help your defense. That's gonna give your defense a chance to close it out in the clutch for the Lions to seal a win. And, and then you then of course you got the head coach Jim Cal- Caldwell comatose as he is with, with his in-game decision-making. So, uh, that's all. The, that is, that's actually all the material that we covered here tonight. So, um, we had to uh, get this in real quick before uh, I get some shut-eye. Buck Gino, uh, I, I thank you very much uh, for, for your uh, very intellectual analysis on the Tigers and the, and, uh, the Pistons, including Ball on, Ball on Marianovich, and, and, of course, the Lions schedule as well. Follow to all the audience out there. You can follow Buck Gino on Twitter at BuckGinoIIII, as in the third in Roman numerals. And follow me on Twitter at DT2Phillips. Like the Michigan Sports Truth Facebook page. Enjoy a Facebook group. Buck Gino, thanks very much again. Get some rest. Yep. I'll talk to you again sometime soon. Very good. TTFN, ta-ta for now. Bon appetit. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.